Hello there. Welcome back to the Teaching Culture Cast, the home for community and culture in teaching. I'm Matthew Bliss, your host, and welcome to 2022. It's a brand new year for teaching, a brand new year for this podcast, and admittedly, there's a few things that I need to address before we get stuck into the episode. There has been a little bit of time between episodes. That's because I took a bit of a well-being break. I felt like on leave from work, I just needed a bit of space for myself to not think about uh, extra things to do and podcasting and things like that. So that's why there hasn't been an episode released for a little while. The episode that you'll be listening to today has been in the hopper for a little bit. It was recorded towards the end of some of the lockdowns in Melbourne last year. So that's why it may sound a little bit out of date, but it's still excellent content. And the person we'll be listening to is just such a great bloke. So even though we've been away for a little bit, the content should still be good. And really, I'm just glad to have you back again. One more thing to address as well. There has been a lot of stuff in the news recently for Australia with regards to the return to teaching and the circumstances around teaching with the pandemic response and all the things that are surrounding it and swirling around that risk that teachers will potentially have to take if things are going the way that we think they're going to go. Now, I just wanted to say from the outset that it's probably not going to be good for any of us as teachers or even tangentially educationally related parents looking at all of the articles that are coming out because the story is constantly changing with the pandemic response for education in Australia. One week we're talking about going into schools and not actually having to do any kind of restrictions or any mandated uh, risk averse stuff. And then the following week, we're being told that we can come out of isolation if we're asymptomatic just to continue our job. And this toing and froing really isn't beneficial for your well-being. So try not to look at too much of this stuff. Avoid the doom scrolling if you can. Keep up to date with it with the information and ensure that you have enough to be able to adequately prepare for the coming year. Now, what we're preparing for, we still don't 100% know. There are things like triple vaccinations for teachers being required. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, the uh, waiving of the isolation period for close contacts in agreement with schools, all these things you should just keep an eye on, but try not to let it dictate your approach to the remainder of the holidays before the term starts and just try and prepare as much as you can. Don't get stuck in the hole like I have for the last month or so. I can feel it myself trying to keep up with uh, news updates for you guys. It's a little bit difficult to um, keep it all in perspective when it's all happening so fast. So I hope you're all enjoying your term break or your holidays in the case that you get to have them, enjoying time with your families, that you've taken the opportunity to just step back from thinking about work for a little while and just getting stuck into the fun stuff. And speaking of fun stuff, Upcoming now is this week's episode, which is talking to Tim, who is a teacher who is uh, teaching in rural schools, and he has a very unique perspective on teaching. So not only are we going to discover a little bit more about uh, what teaching in a rural school is like, but his approach to relational teaching will come up a little bit as well. In addition to some of the pandemic response stuff in rural schools, which is a little bit different to the metropolitan stories that we hear more often. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Tim, 
Thank you very much for joining me on the podcast for this episode. Really happy to have you here. Why don't you give us a little bit of an idea of your background and teaching so far? Okay, thanks for having me on the show. It's great to be here. I've been teaching now for 21 years and had just sort of gone in and had pretty sort of stable and uh, very obvious pathways, which um, I'm, I'm aware that that's probably not always the case and maybe not so much the case these days. So just started with teaching in drama and, and a bit of junior English and also started on VCE theatre studies. Those subjects have probably pretty much gone through for me and I've only been at three uh, schools, uh, all of them Catholic schools. That's probably the story. It's been very straightforward. Three schools of equal sort of proportions of times that I've been there too. And is, um, is drama your major subject or would you say that, that English is peppered in a little bit more in there? Uh, yeah, it's, but they both started equally. I was very conscious when I was doing my studies and teaching that I wanted to have some contrasting subjects. And there was uh, a few students at university when we were doing our, our training that were looking at just sort of specialising very closely into one area. Something told me that both for employability and just even for being in the classroom that I wanted to have something that you could contrast. And so I did deliberately sort of push into the English a little bit. And then I've sort of held both of those subjects in equal proportion for most of my career, I would say. Sometimes it's ebbed and flowed a bit one way or the other, but I've been happy to have those different areas. And have you had the chance to, to teach other subjects that are beyond the norm? Yeah, um, I did dabble a little bit. I had some media work at the start because I did do a little bit media at uni but it wasn't something I studied in my teaching um, but I did get thrown into media um, in my first couple of years and that was interesting but it sort of went by the wayside for me and I probably wasn't bothered by that as well um, because for me it just wasn't a subject that was energizing me uh, and I did also dabble in humanities very briefly in history and asked asked to teach in that area but you're sort of at the um, the whims of the timetablers and that sort of stuff I think year by year you can ask for things and I think it is important to ask and and try different areas if you think it's something that that you could offer some insights into for for students but um you are sort of at the beck and call of the timetable as a lot of the time as well pretty much you know drama and theater studies and, and English through all those year levels English is such a fundamental subject that that's pretty much always been a mainstay. It's funny that you should talk about being a bit flexible at the whims of other people. Luckily, you were able to take the reins of your life a little bit and you made the regional move at one point or another, didn't you? Yeah, and that happened just a few years ago uh, and it was a little bit nerve-wracking because sometimes you can sort of feel that Melbourne is sort of the centre of, of a lot of things and you get used to that city kind of uh, mentality, I suppose. So we did do that and the school I changed to was pretty similar to the school I was in in the city, uh, but there were some shifts as well. So a um, bit of a leap of faith and probably at a good time in my career as well. What was the big impetus for you to move to a regional school as opposed to staying in Metro? Because I can imagine it being very comfortable staying in metropolitan Melbourne or Sydney or even Brisbane because there's so many schools available. What was the thing that really, really pushed you to consider regional schools? Well, look, in some ways, the, the job sort of came a bit second. A lot of it was to do with um, circumstances of, of, you know, other people in um, my family and we were just thinking about opportunities. Um, but funnily enough, when I got into a regional school, I, I actually thought that opportunities for me opened up significantly. There was a little bit less 
cut and thrust in terms of who was um, applying for positions um, of leadership and, and and other responsibility areas, uh, you know, within the within the school community. So it actually did feel a little bit less kind of jostly, for want of a better term. So even though that wasn't on my radar when we moved to a regional place, that definitely has been a byproduct of the move. There's a little bit more room, I think, in most regional schools for you to probably, especially for younger teachers as well, I would say, there's a bit more room to grow in there sometimes. So what they say really is true when they say go regional if you want to secure a job, because there's, there's a lot of stories that fly around in the pre-service teaching space, but for teachers looking to get opportunities early on, that there's probably more permanent teaching opportunities if you go regional and go a little bit further afield to find find those teaching roles. But it sounds like leadership becomes on the cards potentially earlier as well. I think it would. It's just a, it's probably just simple economics with supply and demand. So you basically will have more people applying for more jobs in in metro sort of settings. And the schools tend to be sort of larger kinds of schools as well that have um, more of a turnover of, of individuals passing through. So people can come from outside more easily and come into the school. Whereas in regional schools, um, there's probably less of that constant sort of turnover so yeah I think I think that would be fair to say I certainly noticed that for me yeah it was easier just felt a little bit less sort of competitive you said it was less jostle with I guess competition for roles and things like that does it do you feel like more relaxed teaching in a regional school I, I think so and you know for me it's a per, it's personal sort of philosophy a little bit but I actually one of the things I um get quite sort of put off by which is emerging in teaching in some places is that business model. And part of that business model can be presenting in a certain way or talking the talk in a certain way that might not be about, you know, actual engagement with students or actual strategies around um, students in the classroom, but it could just be more sort of trend words and that sort of stuff. And I, I get a bit put off by that. And I found that in my regional setting that there was a bit less of that, still a little bit, but a little bit less of that and more about just what you wanted to give to the community and how that sort of is expressed in your actions. So I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't have a problem with it. It's really interesting that, that the teaching philosophy kind of changes too. Does it feel like more of a community base? Like you, you're teaching somebody's son or somebody's daughter that you'll see across the road next week and be able to wave <laughs> hello across the street or something? That it definitely is. And um, I think there's plenty of good communities in metro areas as well. And there's the school that I taught in had it had a community that was very strong. And I've always loved that about teaching. But we're talking about sort of nuances of difference here. You certainly run into the students a lot more and the, you get to know parents in a more sort of personal way as well. You know, if if teaching is about community and it's relational, which I think that's sort of a central tenant for me when it comes to thinking about teaching that it's relational, you do get a bit more of that emphasis on the connections with people. And at this stage of my career, sort of further on, um, in I suppose the, the last third or so of my career, I don't mind that. I remember when I was young, I didn't like it at all. And I hated the idea of running into students. That was precisely going to be my next question. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say to the people who think that? Yeah, I used to really, in my 20s, not on, and even in my 30s, not on as well. So, And that was definitely a strong feeling I had. So I, I liked the idea of not being near my school when I was at that point. It doesn't bother me, I think, because I've got, I've got my own kids and sort of, you know, you're sort of in that groove a little bit more. That's really interesting. So what you would say to anyone who's considering the prospective idea of regional schools and maybe gets deterred by those little things that maybe the benefits do outweigh the 
not the drawbacks, but the, the things that might deter you otherwise. Yeah, I think they, there are some benefits and those would include, you're probably looking at a bit of a different range of kids as well. I've found that um, in the regional setting, there's a variety in, not necessarily a cultural variety, that's probably a little bit more, um, a little less diverse, but I think the background in terms of expectations and aspirations is different for regional students. And that's refreshing as a teacher because rather than, you know, sometimes um, metro schools, it might be a little bit transactional depending on the school that you're at as well. So um, there, and there probably are plenty of schools in metro environments that are that are um, also less transactional where you do have that diversity of expectation and aspiration but I think regional schools tend to have that a little bit more consistently so you're going to get students coming from different backgrounds in terms of you might have farming sort of students and I'm not at a, a boarding school but you certainly get boarding schools in, in regional centres and they have a really quite a different change in, in the expectations that come from students there and that's really good I think for a teacher to experience that that you sort of have a student coming to you with a different set of needs. Yeah. I mean, every teacher that comes to the profession wants to find that one kid that they push to be the prime minister of Australia or something like that. Do, do you find that you can kind of blow kids' minds a little bit where maybe they wouldn't expect as much for themselves in that regional setting? Yeah. And also they're, they're, there's a lot more cases in um, regional settings where they probably are a bit more sheltered too. So you can introduce them to an idea you know, as i said before i work in english and theater studies so we're dealing with a lot of um, literary ideas and you know introducing some students to some really kind of complex and and, and um sophisticated sort of forms of literature through you know theater texts or, or or novels um you know it's great it's really enlightening to have that because it's something that they've not got and you also probably think that down the track, they might not be experiencing that after school, but they'll carry it with them anyway. So it's just like um, it's a life learning sort of thing that's happening rather than a pathway to university or a pathway to a career. Their career might be sorted out. There might be something that's happening for them otherwise anyway, but they're there just to learn about things in the world more. Teaching for life, not for a job. Yeah, then that can happen a little bit more, I think, sometimes in regional areas because things are probably a bit more sort of structured and laid out a little bit more clearly for regional students. And I can imagine they probably feel that comfort as well, that the lack of competition for teachers is probably similar for students as well. Being very community-based, they probably don't feel like they have to compete with each other as much. Yeah, yes, there can be a bit of that as well. You know, again, I'm only speaking from the my experience, um, which is just, you know, one school in a regional setting, which is probably there'd be many varied ones. But yeah, I think that there's probably a bit less of that. Again, it's that jostle just because the, the city's not sort of hanging right over you. So there's not as much of that kind of um, that cutthroat for lack of a better term, it probably sounds a bit bit violent, but it's yeah, it's definitely a bit of a different pace in that way. No, I don't. I don't mm. think cutthroat would be a bad word at all. Especially, I'm sure many teachers listening can commiserate the idea. As a teacher, you're answerable to leadership as well as the parents and the children. And <laughs> everything has to line up just right so that everything's perfect for everybody, and that uh, that business like requirement that kind of fits into the model as well, where. Yeah. It sounds like you're in a position where you don't have to worry about that so much, which is brilliant. Yes. Really great to hear. Yeah, it is a bit less. And actually, I have no, I did notice as well, speaking more from the staffing, um, cross staffing and support, that 
And I don't know if this is particular to the school that I'm working at and the culture that's there, but the staff shared resource and support, and obviously English is a large department, was just light years in a different place for me than it was in the metro area. So there were actual, there's actually a lot of systems set up in the English department whereby people are producing resources and sharing them sort of almost on like on a roster kind of basis. And just generally the culture of sharing resources was, as I said, just in a whole new world to what I experienced at the at the Metro School. And of course, once again, that wouldn't always be the same. It's probably dependent on, on different schools, but something that I picked up. Now, lest we go into a subject that everyone has been uh, discussing ad nauseum, but uh, obviously we are staring down the tail end, hopefully, of a period of learning where people had to do it remotely, uh, perhaps not um, wherever you are regionally as much, just because I um, should say that we are talking about Victoria for a start in this context, but obviously we are not alone anymore in terms of experiencing <laughs> the remote learning uh, phase of things. What would you say that you, the impact was for you, not just living where you are, but you know, generally for your teaching? Um, is, there, is there anything um, that you learned as part of remote learning that you'll bring on to the rest of your teaching or has it just been a terrible time and you'd be happy to go back into the classroom? What's your experience been like? Well, there's probably a few snatches of learning to come out of it because you'd want to always pick up something when you're experiencing, you know, that kind of um, pervasive, sudden change for everybody. You want to take something from it. If I was going to take something from it, it would be the you know, the use of technology has been, in some parts, it's been, you know, pretty good putting together, you know, lecture style videos, uh, using different, we used um, Screen-O-Matic, I think was the one that we used. Screencast-O-Matic? Yeah, Screencast-O-Matic, that's what it was. We used that and that was great once you sort of got the hang of that. And I think certainly for things like exam revision and that sort of stuff, it's a really good tool that probably would be carried along next year. It was, you know, mostly more that I, I found it hard to transmit energy to students. I like to be able to convey energy to students in the classroom and you couldn't do that online really at all. You could certainly put content up and there were some students who were able to use the content and, and work with it and even thrive to a point. Um, students that were particularly operated in that way of learning. So it really sort of sifted out the students who were able to process slabs of information in written form, mostly, then just be able to put that back. It definitely was a real problem with catering to different types of learning. It kind of just squished it all into one channel. So yeah, it, it'd be a little bit of stuff in the performing arts area. You know, that was particularly tricky. And we were doing, I also work for the, um, the assessing body in Victoria, the um, Victorian Curriculum and Assessment Authority doing um, the theatre studies monologues for year 12s. And we had to do all of our training and preparation all online for that as well. And the students who were working in that had to prepare their monologue exams, basically in their spare rooms and their carports and that sort of stuff, and just videotape them and send them in to their teachers. The actual assessment was done live. So that sort of stuff that just really decimated, I think, particular subjects. Yeah, Picking up a couple of things for sure. Mostly I'm looking forward to getting back into the classroom. I guess with a mostly physical medium like performing arts, you'd probably want to 
get back in the room yep. with the students so that you can convey that energy you talked about. Yeah, but even in English as well, you know, if we're talking about a particular aspect in English and we're focusing on a, a symbol in a novel, for example, or looking at a particular theme and how uh, language is used by the, the novelist to convey this, again, I'd like to be on my feet in front of a group of students, you know, explaining it to them and putting some stuff on the board. And then if students are asking questions, I can respond in the moment. And a lot of students turned cameras off pretty quickly. We did have a stipulation that you had cameras on. They pretty much went off and you got a bit stick of saying, you know, have your cameras on. The only time we really insisted was when they were actually doing assessment tasks. So there was just that, that yeah, that drop off between you and them. So pretty tricky. But I'm, I'm definitely a teacher that operates on that really sort of relational. I love speaking to them face to face. I'm sure people have collective experiences the same as yours in every industry. I'm sure we've all picked up the same things that people just switch off those cameras because they're not keen to, to be visible. Yeah. I, I was just curious what your, your experience was like in that front. And it sounds like PE, but physical education is, is the boy for you. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's definitely some subjects are going to be hit harder than others, that's for sure. And I suppose also from the well-being side of things, because my my other role that I picked up this year is um, a year 11 coordinator, co-coordinator, and there has been a lot of um, work to do there, uh, picking up the pieces after as well. And that's probably the same for many schools across the country is that's there's a lot of work to be done after we go back as well. Yeah, is that a big piece of work that you kind of have to build yourselves or is there some structure from school leadership or from the the governing body the victorian government is there anything coming down to support you guys with that well-being focus there has been some guidelines about what what strategies we should try to take like most things with that they're broad strokes though so they don't always apply to every context but the biggest thing that they probably try and um, that we've had coming down around well-being has been um in terms of getting um engagement and routine back in as quickly as possible. And that's probably even at the cost of curriculum in many cases. So rather than saying, well, look, you're staring down the barrel of not getting an S in this particular unit, might be, you know, VCE unit two, we're saying, you know, we're just actually interested in getting you back in the classroom and getting through because some students have slipped into school refusal and engagement uh, has become sort of the catch cry for that. Well, I know a lot of teachers that I've talked to They've kind of talked about the way that at least the VCE assessments, the Victorian assessments for ATAR this year, uh, haven't necessarily been as, there's no recognition or not as much recognition as there was last year due to what has happened in the second half of this year with all the remote learning, trying to come to terms with that fatigue that comes with having to do things remotely during the pandemic. It doesn't seem like at least the feeling is that they haven't really made amendments no. to anything this year to make that possible. Is that what you feel as well? Yeah, it'd be pretty minimal. And last year it was minimal and this year it was even less, but mostly um, anecdotally teachers are saying that this year was more heavily affected by COVID than last year, um, especially because there was a lot of chopping and changing. And as you said before, we were in Victoria, which was probably the worst hit state. And metro schools would have had it even worse than regional schools in Victoria as well. So um, yeah, there hasn't been much shift there. Um, uh, I think you get a feeling that it's probably the the governing bodies are trying just to ride it out and sort of just get through and get it done, which I can understand. But I think there will be a lot of, in the next couple of years, there's actually going to be a lot of picking up of that stuff. Yeah. So that'll unfold slowly, I think. 
but hopefully as a result of this, the whole community aspect you talked about and the relational aspect gets more value. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it'll, it'll, it'll spring back as well when it's given that opportunity and that'll be the mainstream sort of reaction. Um, certainly the cohort that I've got, the year 11s at my school, since they've been back this term in term four, have just been ecstatic. And we've had wonderful experiences of doing, um, you know, whole year level activities and we were playing dodgeball today and there was a lot of hilarity and energy and so they're really keen, I think, and and you're right, I think there'll be some sort of spring back in that area. This is a series of the podcasts that's looking into uh, the experience for pre-service teachers a little bit. So just out of curiosity, have you had the chance to take on a pre-service teacher at any point or has anyone in your school taken one on over the last year or so? And if so, what was that experience like for them? Well, I haven't had one for... It was a few years ago that I had one, so I haven't had one at my current school. And I had a student that came in, a, pre, a pre-service teacher that was um, in theatre studies and was sort of on the cusp between directing or doing teaching, and they were excellent. Um, unfortunately, they stepped away and went <laughs> into the directing because I just think that they probably thought that they were just too excited about what directing could do for them and, and the opportunities there. They had just started and then after about four weeks or so said, I'm going to go and work on some plays and that sort of stuff. So for me, that was, yeah, that was interesting. Um, I was really excited about them coming in, but it didn't carry through. I haven't had many actually pre-service teachers in my time, to be honest. Yeah, it hasn't been something that's sort of popped up for me that much. What advice or what things would you mention to pre-service teachers now that they should keep in mind before they get to the profession? As in while they're studying? Yeah. Like uh, what's maybe one of the most um, beneficial things that you did as part of your study? You probably did the the one year grad dip of teaching, right? Yes, that's right. Did you feel like that was enough time to get all the aspects of teaching under your belt? And were there some big beneficial moments during completing that course that you've taken on into teaching today? Well, there's always, for any teacher, obviously the big split in your training is between the theory and the in-class practice, and most teachers would recognise that they're they're sort of two different worlds. For me, the um, in-class sort of teaching, the placements were pretty intense, and sometimes you sort of thought, is this, can I sustain this? Because... You were probably working from the position of all the theory that you were doing and then you were trying to apply all of that theory at once in your practice and you were trying to do the best that you could when you were actually in a, in a school. So I did I did think that you probably need to, to recognise that it's going to be a sort of a different experience once you're actually working and that there's probably a different pacing kind of situation happening there. And they, there is a lot of discussion around teacher burnout and I think that teachers need to find ways to, to recognise that you can't do everything because you basically have got, in a teaching day, you've got so many things thrown at you. When you're doing one thing, another thing pops up and then another thing on top of that. You've probably got to sort of recognise picking your battles or picking your focus points a bit carefully. And I think when you're a student, you might not recognise that that's what's going to need to happen. So I guess what I'm saying is sort of seeing teaching is that it's going to be a bit organic and a bit messy because you're dealing with individuals and you're dealing with personalities and you're dealing with hundreds of them. Like you actually have literally got hundreds of potentially chaotic (laughs) Because chaotic is in because you can't predict where it's going to go and and what it's going to be and what the experience is going to be. So I think there is a a transition between the order and the the perfect theory of doing your um your teaching degree into the world of actual teaching where it's not so ordered and it's not so perfect, but it's enlivening and energizing because it's with people. 
Yeah, I think uh, you're probably talking to your um your um placement supervisors and really getting a sense around that um, experience as much as you can, he, taking from their experience and their wisdom of the years of teaching uh, and, and having a chat with them about that is probably the most beneficial thing you can do. They'll be able to tell you a little bit about that and put some perspective on it as well. Because I think graduate teachers can be really hard on themselves in terms of uh, thinking that they've got to be doing everything that they've been told in the textbook and everything that they've been told back. And it is a very different sort of experience. So that, yeah, I'd say that that's probably something to think about there. Look, there's, there's many components to everything. Any advice for students doing their practice is going to be beneficial. So I'm sure people will take that away. I, th I think giving them permission to not feel okay, but realize it's still okay Yeah. if the practice doesn't go so well yeah. or as well as they expected. And that's the classic thing about a lesson plan that you're going to put hours into and then it just goes really differently. It is definitely giving yourself permission for that, that lesson plan to feel a bit different in when, when you've got those 25 individuals sitting there it's um yeah you have to remind yourself about that every day i, I think we've taken up enough of your time but uh whilst asking you for advice about pre-service teachers this is going to seem uh a bit repetitive but at the end of every podcast i try to ask our guests about one big pearl of wisdom that the one big piece of advice that you would tell any teacher or pre-service teacher or someone even tangentially considering pursuing teaching as their career. What would you say is that one big piece of advice that you would give people? Some of the PD that I had over the years, the one that has stuck for me the most was that philosophical approach of knowing students personally. Uh, we had some people talking about knowing knowing their names, knowing what they do outside of school, asking them about their hobbies, asking them about their interests. Those first few minutes of the class when students are uh, filing in and you, there might be one at the front, especially if there's one that you don't get to talk to very often and they happen to have come in first, instead of reviewing what you're going to do in the class and thinking, I've got to get my uh, my lesson objective out or um, you know what is it that we're planning to learn and, and I've got to write them up on the board and all that sort of stuff go and have a chat with that student and it's also in the corridor as well that you might be able to do that because i just think that when they're getting a sense that they're dealing with you as a person and if and students love hearing about what teachers are doing too they love that you know obviously you, you know you're watching to a degree how much that is and you know that's up to you to, to to be aware of that but um they love hearing about teachers i think then they trust you a little bit more if you've got a hard conversation you've got to have with them or you're trying to inspire them to tr to do a little bit more you're trying to you know really show them that you believe in them then that sort of stuff comes from knowing students having made a, a connection in a personal way um that's big for me part of the reason that I started this podcast was to get into things like that. Because I can tell you, having done my master's of teaching, a full two years, like double the time that you had to get ready for teaching, they don't talk about stuff like that so much. No, they don't. No, that, that kind of, you have a, a strong belief in the relational aspect of teaching. Mm. And I think that speaks very strongly to that piece of advice that you gave just there. But these are the things that teachers have to learn in a vacuum sometimes, unless they have the opportunities to, to talk to people like yourself and discover these things and realize that there's aspects to just being people mm. in the classroom. Mm. We, we've heard it from a number of the, the podcast episodes. If you're listening, plug, 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 listen to the other episodes, obviously. But um, I think it's, it's refreshing to hear stuff like that. Those are the gems that we really, really want to dig out of the profession and hand across to to other pre-service teachers and people considering the profession. Mm. 
but I bet that there's a lot of reward for you when you see the value in those uh, friendships and the understanding of students that comes out as well. Yeah, that's right. It makes it more satisfying for you as well because you see that growth and yeah, and it energizes you because as we were saying before, teaching is is a hard game because you're pushing out so much. And I think you get energy from connections with students that are obviously contextual and obviously there's parameters to that and all teachers are aware of that. Taking the time to to make those connections will give you energy back to teach as well. There's actually a few teachers and um, people who do training as well that I've talked to that feel burnt out and feel like it's maybe not for them anymore, mm. which is a very easy to think in this pandemic world we're in. Mm. But then they get in front of people and they start transferring knowledge. They start connecting with people again and it, they do get that energy back. Mm. I, I think it's it's partly because that's what we're there for, right? Yeah. We're there to teach. We're not there to you know, take attendance and make sure it makes its way to, you know, the people who are managing all the student attendance. And we're not there to make sure that all the behavioral reports are in line, that we make sure that we record our PD and mm. follow all the administrative paperwork and procedures. We're there to get in front of students and, and teach them. Well, we're not even there to deliver content as well. It's for me, it's about almost, you know, we're there to give inspiration and excitement around ideas and you know, so you're not even yeah. just telling them a bunch of facts. You're trying to show them this stuff that we're talking about in biology is amazing. And this stuff in, in art, look at this movement. And in English, look at this piece of literature. And that's, um, that's you know, about um, connecting with them as people. So definitely, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Tim. It's been a great chat. I'm sure we'll get you on again for another episode at some point. But um, yeah, appreciate your time. Thanks very much, Matt. It's been great. That was Tim, talking about rural schools, relational teaching, and some of the pandemic response in his school. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, tell your colleagues, tell anyone that you think might be interested. More importantly, come and visit Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a review. I'd really love to hear what you think of the podcast so far. And if you've got a question or comment, or even would like to guest on an episode on the show, please visit the website teachingculturecast.com or send us a message, teachingculturecast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Those details are available from the website. Thanks again so much for listening. Stay safe, stay well, keep enjoying your holidays, and we'll see you next time.